For those of you who don't know Alexandra, she is the CEO and founder of award-winning landscape architectural firm Urban, and they are absolutely fantastic. And the reason why I'm so happy to be speaking with her is because I bang on and on about how I can help somebody improve their well-being by saying, oh, if you're lonely, go to a park or join a club. And people do this, okay? So they go and they join their clubs and they do all of those things and then suddenly money gets withdrawn, bus routes get withdrawn, there's no disabled access. <laughs> it's not just up to the mental health practitioner and the individual to do something. I think it's really time that the government joins and collaborates and understands what urban planners, what architects, what master planners can do to make a massive difference to creating our spaces and finding a world in which we can all thrive. So that's why I'm so happy to speak with Alexandra. So how, how is our well-being so linked to the world around us? Not just accessibility, but how is it so linked to the world around us? Well, gosh, I mean, I think it's completely inseparable. I, I think that there is a complete connection. In fact, you know, we are utterly dependent on the world around us. And, um, you know, I think, unfortunately, over the last centuries, we've just become completely ignorant of the natural systems and the natural world around us. And we've become increasingly more dislocated from nature. But, you know, it is only because of the natural world that we exist. You know, it's the air, it's the soils, it's the water, our plants, our animals that all support us and allowed our species to evolve, evolve in the first place. So, you know, it, it's the same today. We're still as dependent on, on that world around us and yet we just have forgotten it. And then we start ruining it, ruining it because we don't think about it. And you're so right because so much research has shown how we can look at streams, at trees, even looking at a tree in a hospital window, that person recovers faster and yeah. more thoroughly than somebody who looks at a brick wall. I think that's, that's incredible. Correct. I've yeah. got a great quote from Prince William who says, the earth is at a tipping point. We face a stark choice. Either we continue as we are and irreparably damage our planet, or we remember our unique power as human beings and our continual ability to lead, innovate, and problem solve. People can achieve great things. The next 10 years present us with one of our greatest tests, a decade of action to repair the earth. Now, I know this is a subject that is so close to your heart, Alexandra, how? How can we start taking climate change more seriously? Why do we need to? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, uh, that, that quote is a good one to start with. I, I don't think I've heard that one. But yeah, it's interesting to hear that. Um, you know, the UN tells us that it's now or never. As you say, this is the decade of action. And actually, we're well into that decade. You know, we're now um, approaching 2023. And, and that decade of action is meant to be from 2020 to 2030. So we're well into that decade. Um, and we really need to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And if we don't take action now, it, it will be too late. I mean, there's also um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So they're sort of, they're the international group of, of climate scientists that come together to provide reports on how we are doing with climate change. And the more recent report uh, was stating that actually the, the issues are accelerating and they're, um, 
they're worse than were anticipated. So, you know, climate change is happening faster and, and actually tipping points are being breached faster than was originally anticipated. So, you know, they're saying major cities are going to be underwater soon. So, yeah. you know, we know as a city that is based within an estuary that we're very vulnerable to sea level rise and, and storm surges. So with global warming, with the melting of, of, of Arctic um, polar ice caps, with, um, you know, the sea level rise that comes along with that, we're so vulnerable. And actually the majority of, of, um, of large cities in the world are within estuary environments. Mm. So, mm -hmm. so it's huge what could happen, you know, along with um, accelerating heat waves, other storms, um, you know, mass extinctions are underway. So we're already well into things. And I know oftentimes when you hear, oh, we need to keep the temperature variation within 1.5 degrees, you think, oh, 1.5, that's nothing. Like, mm -hmm. what, what's the big deal if the climate increases by 1.5 degrees? Mm -hmm. Well, it actually is incredibly important because for about 12,000 years, what geologists call the Holocene period, the, the climate was incredibly stable. And that's mm -hmm. what's allowed for human development and progress because of that stability. And now we are causing uh, the planet to come out of that period. Mm -hmm. And so people are calling it the Anthropocene because it is really based on human activities that we're now leaving that stable period mm. and opening up a, a world that we don't know and and that we're not ready for so um it's incredibly important that's really quite frightening and and actually if any of us are thinking oh it's not really affecting us remember the heat wave that we all had and how difficult it was to cope the second day the first day i think we all went no that's fine <laughs> Second day, I know I was sitting there going, oh, it's so hot. And this is part of the problem. Now, mm -hmm. architects, you are in a privileged position. You can design and plan and create, and that's so exciting. How can you help make a difference, not just to us, but to the planet in general with those designs, if only people would listen? Mm. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that, that would be a good starting point, actually, because I know oftentimes um, designers do have some really sophisticated knowledge and great mm. intentions, and often it's, um, it's just not possible to make the change that you want to see. So, um, but I would have to say that oftentimes, um, you know, throughout the whole industry, I think we're sometimes squandering our, our opportunity to make a real difference and a, a real um, significant change. So, for example, a lot, of, a lot of schemes these days, you know, in master planning and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. they'll often be called sustainable or um, innovative or green. Mm -hmm. Landscape-led is often used. And yet I find that it's not necessarily really making meaningful change on the ground. So, for example, it might just be, a bit of lip service, um, you know, to, to tick some boxes in terms of sustainability, but it's not mm. actually making real and significant change. So, um, you know, I guess 
our approach as a practice is to always try to start with the land. We are landscape architects and urban designers. And so, you know, we are really passionate about starting with the land as, as the foundation for everything that we do. So rather than saying this development should go in this location and then the landscape has to work around it, Mm -hmm. Really, what we're always trying to promote is we need to start with the land. We need to set in place some big transformational uh, frameworks that can show sort of how that land works, all the natural processes that are in place to do with soils, to do with water, to do with the habitats and, um, you know, the wildlife and how all these things work together. And then to say, okay, well, we understand that. And we know what's important and we know what we shouldn't mess with because these are key things to keeping the health of our cities and our regions. So let's put development here where it's the least harmful or, you know, where it's not going to really be damaging. And then and then think about, okay, so if we do put development there, then what can we do to even make that development even more um, enhanced and and more um, restorative? for our planet, really. What little things can we do? So this is for the people who sit there, like me sometimes, I have to say, and I'm ashamed of it. Oh, well, I, I don't see it. I don't see what difference I'm making. What little <laughs> thing can we do ourselves every day that could make a difference? Hmm. Well, there's, there's quite a few things. I mean, I guess um, one thing to start with is to travel on foot or cycling. That's one thing that, that people can do whenever possible. Obviously, it's not always possible. But, um, you know, or if you can't do that, then to use public transport, just to really sort of limit carbon emissions, improve our air quality, and then at the same time, getting exercise that's, that's good for our bodily health as well. So that's one thing. Um, another thing you might try is to think about um, food. So our whole food industry, the whole sort of um, food process is actually riddled with problems. So, you know, right from day one, the way we till the soils, the way we cut down forests to plant crops, the way we, um, you know, destroy entire habitats, mm. and then fill the soil with pesticides and all sorts of garbage that goes into the water and and infects the whole system, you know? So there's just so many issues with the whole food industry. And if we can just be mindful about the food that we're buying, um, where we're choosing to buy our groceries, you know, the food that we eat, and then thinking about the whole waste system as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, do you compost, for example? Um, that's something that is really easy to do. And I think most, most London boroughs now support that. I'm not sure about sort of the rest of the UK because I'm, I'm located in London. But, um, you know, that sort of thing. We can be composting. We can be recycling. I know there's issues with that too, but at least it helps. And we know that, that it's a good start. So, you know, yeah. just incorporating these kind of um, behavior changes and, and just being mindful about, okay, what am I doing when I'm, when I'm purchasing this, I don't know, something yeah. like a, a bit of fast food that has palm oil in it. You know, what, what effect has that had globally? You know, so just to be mindful of these things. 
you see, that's great because again, this feeds into what makes us healthier as people because if we stop and think about our food just say we use that as a challenge next week we're going to stop and think about what's gone into our food that practice on its own can help us in a really fast-paced world to stop take a step back and think about anything that we choose to do and that makes yeah. a massive difference so for those little yeah. things have much wider benefits now something i i always bang on about the Story House Theatre in Chester because I think it's brilliant. This is a place which is a multi-purpose building. It has a, it's a theatre, it's a cinema, it's a place for the community to congregate, it's a restaurant and a bar and the library. I think it's wonderful. Now these sorts of multi-purpose buildings are a wonderful asset to any community. If a town planner, if a council is thinking, I really need to do something with, say, this building or this area. What do you want them to come and say to you? What do you want them to ask you? <laughs> well, first off, I guess I'd be interested if they are um, situated within a landscape or if it's a completely urban environment, completely built up. Um, so at the moment, you know, our practice, we work across all scales. So we, uh, we do a lot of urban landscapes and public realms, streetscapes, you know, small spaces, rooftops and that sort of thing. But we're also working at, at huge scales, so regional strategies coming up with landscape frameworks. So um, I guess I would be interested to find out, you know, one, um, how are they collaborating with the community to find out what mm -hmm. the best purpose for that, that you know, how would they how would they want to see that building repurposed? Um, how would it connect to the local community? You know, how would it sort of enrich that experience and how can it make connections to the neighborhoods around? Um, and, you know, is it possible to introduce some sort of elements of change in the landscape? So for example, within the street, could they do something that shows that they're committed to, to, mm. um, kind of rehabilitating that relationship to nature, even with in tight urban spaces, you know, so um, could, could community gardens be incorporated into that space? Mm -hmm. um, could the rooftop be used for catching rainwater and, you know, recycled within the building? Could there be a garden up uh, on the roof where the community can congregate sort of in a safe environment? And, and where perhaps butterfly gardens are or other sort of gardens that attract and support our local wildlife. So all those sorts of things, you know, even within tight urban spaces, mm -hmm. um, we can incorporate these really valuable principles. Mm. You see, I really like that. And that relates to individuals as well. So you say got somebody who they're in a high rise flat, maybe they can't get out. Um, very easily, maybe there's mobility issues. What could they do to maybe get a little bit of that nature into their houses? Hmm. Well, I mean, I've always been a big proponent for having balconies. I just think it's such a shame when people don't even have a balcony and can't even mm. have that little bit of connection to the outside world, especially mm. when you're in a high rise. I think you can feel yeah. very cut off. You know, yeah. I've, I've experienced that myself. And mm -hmm. I think I'm probably 
quite um, sensitive to that kind of condition. So I might notice it more than other people. But I think still that that same sense is happening, even if you're not aware of it, that you can be quite cut off. So if you can have a balcony, <laughs> that's great. I think that, that high rises should definitely have balconies or at mm. least some sort of space where the people within the high rise can get out and, and can be surrounded uh, by nature and hopefully breathe some fresh air, mm. not just <laughs> polluted uh, air. So those sorts of things, you know, even bringing, um, even bringing in some plants into your, into yeah. your windowsills in yeah. our office. We don't have um, we don't have an outdoor space, for example. So our office is just filled with plants, <laughs> and I think I think it just really helps to kind of raise spirits, and it it makes you feel more comfortable, and it's a warm kind of more embracing feeling. Humans are biophilic, as I said right at the start. We we are drawn to things which remind us of nature. So if we surround ourselves with that, we're more likely to feel better anyway and i think that's a really nice idea now there's a number of campaigns going on so there's the uk teen infusion smart boil campaign and that's you just boil what you need so don't fill up your kettle just boil that cup saves energy saves um also saves on the what makes the taste of the tea much nicer but mm -hmm. what other things could you suggest that we could do or what things do you do perhaps that make that difference to yourself, but also make the difference to the environment? Uh, well, probably one big thing I've always chosen to do is not to have a car. So uh, for since I've moved to London, which is almost 20 years ago, I've always, I've always gone out of my way to choose a home that is located in a, lo you know, in a place where I'm able to walk almost everywhere. Now I know um, not everybody has that luxury, but I think it's sometimes kind of weighing up what's more important to you and what's less important. So for me, it was more important to be able to walk everywhere, to not have to be using a lot of fuels, um, but also, you know, just not having to worry about maintenance of vehicles is quite a nice thing. <laughs> and at the same time, um, I was always interested in incorporating fitness into my daily routine because as a working mother, um, I just found it was too hard then to have to try and, and incorporate exercise into its own kind of little box. So anyways, I've, I've made that decision to, to walk almost everywhere for last 20 years. <laughs> um, so that's a big one. Um, like I said, you know, the way we deal with waste. So we compost mm -hmm. or recycle almost everything. There's some, there is some rubbish, of course. I think it's hard to get around that, but we do that. Um, what other sorts of things? Well, your energy provider, you know, what, what kind of energy you're choosing to go with. So if you can choose green alternatives, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So that, that's what we do in our household. Um, I think the whole energy situation is going to become very complex this year so um, yeah but you know it just shows this fundamental need we have to be diversifying and, and finding alternative energy sources yes. just was just talking i'm just thinking there's so many wonderful practical things that we can be doing which also have so many psychological benefits just the stopping and thinking about things again helps us become more mindful the stacking of I won't have a car, so I will walk, which means I can actually get my exercise. And that's something I can do with family as well. That stacks so many benefits up together. There's so mm -hmm. many things that actually uh, one simple change to be a bit more aware of our environment can make to 
our own everyday well-being. I think that's brilliant. Now, if you have one message you would want to give to anyone watching about why it's so important to take action now, what would it be? Our lives depend on it. And the future mm. generations are depending on us. I don't remember who said it now, but someone clever said, what kind of ancestors will we be? And I think that's such an incredible question, you know, thinking about how, how will our children and our children's children look back on it? Are they going to say, what the hell were they doing? You know, they just blew it. They just blew it. They could see it. They had all the research. They had all the data. They had all the information. And yet they just completely ignored it and decided that this would be our future. Or are they going to say they did it right? They saw what was coming and they did the right thing and they acted as stewards of the planet and turned things around. So I hope that, um, I hope that future generations say that about us. I love that. Um, I think that's a perfect place to end it on. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Now, where can we follow you on Instagram or look at your website and so on and get in touch with you to learn more? That's right, yeah. So, well, Instagram, of course. And um, our website is Alexandra Steed Urban. And then we're also on LinkedIn under the same name, Alexandra Steed Urban. So we'd be pleased to hear from anyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive.